0: If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18 and going through the rest of the chapter. Today we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Romans, where we started off several weeks ago, before we got uh, closed down because of the COVID disease. And the title of today's message is Darkness Revealed. Now, one of the struggles I had about what we were going to do and we reopened was the kind of messages that we were going to talk about and the kind of, uh, of theme that we were going to um, present to the public in case we had new visitors. We had a lot of people during our um, time of closure watching us, or at least watching me, in my office um, bringing the word every Sunday. So we had between 40 and 60 people watching that. So um, I'm going to see if that translates over to the podcast now because this is all being recorded and goes out Onto the internet at about one by one o'clock every Sunday, so we'll have to see if that if that carries over. And I wanted to to kind of uh, to um, tailor the messages to be very gospel centric and very uh, evangelistic. Uh, but given the events of the last few weeks, God really impressed on me the necessity to bring this particular word from you and to continue our series on the book of Romans and this morning we're going to take a journey that for some may seem to be a little uncomfortable it's going to sound like it's all doom and gloom but trust me it's not Jesus wins in the end amen most of the time that we come to church, we come here to be encouraged, right? We come here to be strengthened. We come here to receive the Holy Spirit. We come here just to get enough strength to try to get us through until next week where we can be recharged and, re-couraged and re-encouraged again. Another function, though, of the church is discipleship, and that is to teach the Word of God, to, to put put within everybody the tenets of the Christian faith and to train you in the Bible's truth and its message for all of us. And the central theme that we see in the Bible is God's love for his creation and his means of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what exactly did Jesus save us from? Most people would say, well, he saved us from our sins, and, and that would be a correct answer. Partially correct, though, and he did indeed come to save us from our sins and from the effect of sin on our lives. But most importantly, Jesus came to save us from the consequences of our sins. And the consequence of sin is experiencing what the Bible would call the wrath of God. Now, how many people would be honest? When I said wrath of God, how many people immediately felt a little uncomfortable? I do. The subject of the wrath of God terrifies me. The subject of the wrath of God is why I'm standing up here instead of sleeping in on Sunday mornings. Is because I want to help as many people avoid that as I possibly can. The wrath of God, in a human way, kind of reminds me of my mom saying, Wait until your dad gets home. Anybody hear that when they were growing up? Or any parents say that to their children? (laughs) We have one honest parent in the room. (laughs) We knew that when dad got home and mom was mad that he was bringing two cans of whooping with him, right? How much more so should the thought of almighty God coming in wrath fill us with dread? And Conrad, if you want to come up, we're going to read in just a moment. It's probably the reason that most Christians, when we read the Bible, we have a tendency to stay in the New Testament, don't we? We don't want to, to talk about Old Testament subjects of wrath and judgment and destruction of entire cities and peoples. We, we love to, to hear about the love of God. We love to hear about salvation through Jesus Christ. So we kind of stay away from that kind of stuff. But, God takes sin very seriously, and we're going to see that this morning. So buckle in, and if you're not there already, we're going to be in Romans 1, 18-32, and Conrad has, is going to bless us and read that to us this morning. Go ahead, sir.
1: I just want to say it's good to be back into God's house with God's people. Praising and worshiping the only true God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known above about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse for although god knew, knew god no for although they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, controversial malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boasters, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that that those who practice those things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I just want to say any nation that justifies these sins as a perfectly acceptable lifestyle is in its final stages of moral corruption.
0: Thank you. Amen. That's That's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's take a moment of prayer. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. And Father, I also thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us to look into your word and see what is happening today. And although this may be a very heavy message, it is also a prophetic one to prepare us for the times that may be coming. And it is also a message meant to change our own hearts and our own minds. So that we can be a people that stand ready to show the love of God, no matter what happens in this world. Prepare our hearts to receive your word this morning. I ask this in your name. Amen. So today we're going to start by answering the question, why is God wrathful? Why is this... God we talk about being a loving God. Why is he also a God of wrath? And within these opening verses, we see two words. In the King James, they're a little bit different in the NIV or the ESV that I usually use. There are two words in the beginning here when it talked about... um, Um, In verse 18, in the NIV, it says, "...the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness." And I'm going to use those two words today. And we see that in the opening verses, these are the two words that are triggers for God's wrath. So let's define them. Godlessness is something that does not reflect God's image, or his purpose. Let me give you an example. When I was growing up, my dad was a mechanic, so he had tons and tons of tools. Um, At the time, um, and this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, his tool collection chest, I mean, it was huge. And it was estimated to be worth about $38,000. So he had a lot of tools from being a mechanic. And one of the things that he would use those tools for is Constantly tearing apart his house and putting it back together, constantly remodeling, constantly um, fixing things up in an effort to um, so that when he decided to retire and, and he actually moved up near Spooner, um, he could sell that house for a lot more than he bought it for. He bought it for $30,000, sold it for, I think, 180000 so he made quite a bit of profit, but it was a lot of elbow grease that went into that. And I was, that's where I learned how to do a lot of things around the house, is, is through my dad. We tore out everything. We tore out walls. We tore out electric. We tore out plumbing. We just like gutted the entire house, except for the, th- for the boards holding it up, and replaced just about everything in that house. And I was helping him as a teenager. We were in the basement, and we had just gutted the basement again. And we were putting up some um, paneling on the studs that we had just placed. Now, don't judge me for putting up paneling. This was the 80s. Yeah. Paneling was a completely acceptable way of finishing your basement at that time. So I was getting ready to put up some paneling and I, saw I was up on a ladder um, getting ready to hang some paneling. I saw there was a nail sticking out about this far. And I really didn't want to climb down the ladder to get the hammer and pound the nail the rest of the way in. So I just took a screwdriver out of my back pocket and I used the head of it and I started to go like this on the hammer and my dad lost his mind. Does that look like a hammer? He goes, you're going to break the handle. You know how much that screwdriver cost me? He was really upset because I was using this screwdriver in a way that it wasn't designed to be used and the way that he wanted it to be used. That is a way of seeing what godlessness is. You see, our Father God designed the universe to function in a way that he created it. According to his design, according to his will. Anything that goes against that or less than God designed is godlessness. Now most people honestly practice godlessness through apathy. Or through simply just not being concerned with what God thinks or what his design might be. You can accidentally be godless just through carelessness or lack of thinking through a thought or action. We see this very commonly today in people who claim to go to church, claim to be Christian in one sentence, and then the next sentence they use Jesus' name or God's name as a curse. I mean, these two things should not go together. They don't don't fit together. You can't worship a God one second and use His name to curse something in, in the next sentence, right? And... So godlessness can be defined simply as spiritual laziness, and if left unchecked, will proceed to the next thing that brings God's wrath, and that is wickedness. Wickedness, as compared to godlessness, is a purposeful choosing of evil over good. It's not just a lazy mindset. It's not just an apathetic thing toward the things of God. But it's a decision to do that which God calls evil. It's a conscious choice to prefer darkness over light. Jesus had a great way of explaining this. In John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus. He's, he's, he's bringing Nicodemus through the Old Testament, bringing him into the reason that he is now here. And then Jesus gives a great description of the problem of man and the problem of sin in the world. Jesus said that this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed that's what wickedness is wickedness is choosing the devil's path over God's salvation and that's why the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against these two different conditions Now, it's bad enough when people choose to be godless and wicked. But then there is a third thing that really gets God angry. And that is suppressing the truth. We see that they suppress the truth in their wickedness. In other words, I might be choosing to go to hell myself, but I'm going to make sure you come with me. That's the ultimate selfishness a person can have is to block others from coming to the truth. So let's stop here and consider something. We turned on the news last night or the night before. Does this explain what we're seeing? Does it explain what we see just in general in our society today, a purposeful suppressing of the truth? Does it seem like it's even a conspiracy at times? I say yeah, it is a conspiracy. The forces of darkness want to win. They are doing everything they can to encourage godlessness and wickedness, to grow so it suppresses the gospel message. Satan is that evil. He knows he's going to hell and he wants to drag you there with him. So what can we do? How can God hold humanity guilty if there's so many things in the world that seem to hide the truth from our eyes? Well, that's what Paul addresses next. One of the things that that gets lost in in our modern way of thinking is that in the Old Testament when a rabbi was trained, he was trained to be a lawyer or a teacher of the law, which means essentially he was an attorney. And the entire book of Romans is laid out in such a way that this is an attorney standing before the jury of humanity and giving a closing argument about the truth of the gospel. And that's what Paul is doing here when he starts to define exactly why the gospel is necessary. And one of the most common questions posed to Christianity is this. How can God hold people guilty if the entire world system seems to be trying to hide him from us or seems to be suppressing the truth? Well, Paul starts with a concept in verses 19 and 20 with a concept called natural revelation. What natural revelation is simply that. It's taking nature and being able to see that at least a design there. Now there was once a teacher who took her class to a a museum and they're standing in front of the big Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton. There's one of these at the Field Museum. I actually went on this, this kind of a field trip when I was younger. And, we're standing in front, and if you're standing in front of this big Tyrannosaurus rex, and the teacher's saying, all this started from ooze, and then lightning struck the ooze, and the ooze started to form complex proteins, and the complex proteins came together and formed the first living cells, and then those things eventually ended up right there as a Tyrannosaurus rex. Well, one of the students in the class was a pastor's kid, and he said, "Isn't that kind of the same thing as believing that a tornado went through a human cemetery and for, and mashed all the bones together and formed that? Isn't that kind of believing the same thing? Or like a typhoon hits a Chinese publishing uh, factory and forms an English dictionary? That's 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 kind of the same illogic that that comes from trying to believe in atheistic evolution." And you all know I'm taking science classes in college. And a lot of people are actually worried about that. They're like, well, you know, we know how many kids you know, go to college and they lose their faith because they see you know, something in science and all that. And I was, I was actually the exact opposite. When I really studied biology, anatomy, physiology, um, cosmology, I saw ordered creation. How the eye works. To think that came through billions of years of random chance is so illogical to me, it's not even funny. How a muscle contracts. Seeing the little fibers that have to reach up and grab something else and pull. It's scream design. It's scream that somebody designed it to work just like that. All the complex interactions chemically that have to happen within your body for you to even take a breath are just mind-blowing. There's no possible way that happened by chance plus billions of years. Dr. John Lennox of Oxford University, pretty famous college, right? He's one of the most renowned and famous mathematicians in the world, and he wrote a book about how ludicrous it was for people to promote atheistic evolution. Now listen to this. Dr. Lennox calculated... The probability of life spontaneously developing out of random chance to be two to the 500th power to one. Now, if you don't understand scientific notation, that's a two with 499 zeros behind it. That's a big number. That is a really, really, really big number. To put this in a more common way of saying this, the odds of winning the lottery are about 302 million to one. And that's only six zeros behind that 302. 499 zeros to one. God has given us creation as the evidence of his existence. That's why the Bible says creation points to a creator, and that's why Paul says humanity is without excuse. That's what natural revelation is, that creation declares the glory of God. But we also have special revelation. We have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. We have dreams. We have visions. We have all kinds of, of special ways that God um, reveals himself to us. We hear about it in Iran, we hear about it in Iraq, these countries that close themselves off to the gospel about how angels will come and meet with these people and, and tell them the way of salvation and, and raising pastors up that way. That's, that's just some incredible um, news that we hear from overseas. But ultimately, it's because people prefer darkness over light that they refuse to come to the truth. In other words, they're willfully ignorant of the truth. It's closing your eyes and saying, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. I have people tell me all the time, yeah, I know I'm living wrong, but I ain't going to change. That's stubborn pride and rebellion. And when we as an individual or as a society prefer darkness over the light, we begin what I call a deadly slide toward judgment that we see in the remaining verses here in Romans chapter 1. In verses 21 through 27, we see what starts off as a mild neglect of God or godlessness and eventually ends up with a complete rejection of any biblical morality and a choice to become completely wicked in their thoughts, their actions, and their lifestyles. Now, many of us are shocked when somebody that we've looked up to in the Christian faith falls, falls away. We, we, we see the news stories every few months. There's another famous, usually a musician, that falls away from the faith. But you know what? They just didn't wake up one morning and decide, hey ah, eh, Christianity, I don't believe that anymore. I'm just going to go do what I want to do. It didn't start out that way. It started out in a very similar process to what you see here in Romans chapter 1. It's because usually they have a secret love of something sinful. And that something sinful, in order for them to make it make sense in their minds, they had to reject one thing or the other and they rejected God. Because they love their sin more than God. And as we explore these verses, we're going to see that there is a stepwise way that society or a person falls away from the faith. We also see here when God's wrath will fall. And as I said, this is a deadly slide toward destruction. So let's look at the first phrase, or the first few verses, and you'll understand a little bit about American history from about the late 1800s forward. This is not an exhaustive um, way of looking at it, because we'd be here all day, but just a few of the highlights that, that we've gone through as a nation. In Romans 1, verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But in their thinking became futile, and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Now for our society, and in the Western world, this began with Charles Darwin and his Origin of Species, published in the late, or the late to mid-1800s. Schools swallowed this up. It became the new fad, if you will, in academia. And dozens of generations since have then turned around and rejected what the Bible says about creation and replaced it with the idea that you and I are simply evolved animals. And we have no other purpose other than to survive and spread our genetics to the next generation. Origin of species in a nutshell right there. That's the only purpose man and women have. So logically, that led us to the next phase. And that was sexual promiscuity. In Romans 1, 24 through 25, it says, Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, Through the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged, this is a key verse or key sentence, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Now this slide has started several times throughout American history. We see it starting up, um, when, when Darwin came you know, into our culture right after the Civil War, um, it started to, to happen right before the turn of the century, and then a revival hit, the Welsh Revival. circle of the planet, people came back to God. It restarted a little bit after the turn of the century, and the Azusa Street, or the Pentecostal Revival, happened and squashed it down. Then in the 1920s, it hit hard. You ever hear the term, the swinging 20s? That that was huge during that time. Then instead of a revival, God sent the Great Depression, and humbled everybody. Then World War II. That kept up pretty much until about the late until about the 1960s when the free love movement hit the hippies, in other words. But then the Jesus movement and others slowed that down. In the 19th. Various revivals in the 1970s and 80s started to slow that down. And then 1995, roughly, Brownsville and Toronto revival slowed down the 80s, which were kind of a repeat of the 1920s. But now here we are in 2020. We really haven't had much in the last 20 years in America that I would classify a a revival. Nothing has flattened that curve of God's wrath. So now we've slipped into the next phase. And that is the unnatural relationships. In verse 26 it says, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their perversion. Remember, we started off with America's rejection of God as creator and with that his moral law and his character. Since then we viewed ourselves as animals so we started acting like animals. But now we're doing things that are not naturally seen even in the natural world. And I'm saying naturally seen. You could pull up a dog lick, a male dog licking another dog or, or doing weird things. You can point out the abnormal, but it doesn't make it the normal. Normally that does not happen in nature. And I want to stop for a moment here because we're talking about a very hot button topic. And that's the the topic of homosexuality. And Christians for years have not treated people with this tendency with love. We've called them perverts and tried to shun them out of our, our churches. Now these tendencies are not by themselves sinful. We all have sinful tendencies. Some of us it's gossip, some of us it's greed, some of us it's lying, some of us it's, it's, it's pride. We all have these besetting sins that we have. Everyone has a struggle to face in life. Now homosexuality is a symptom of a larger disease called sin. Just like chest pain may be the first symptom of a heart attack We don't treat the chest pain, we treat the heart. And that's the same thing we need to do with people who come to us with a homosexual tendency. Because everyone has a struggle to face in life, amen? Now homosexuality of itself, especially the widespread celebration of it, is a symptom of a larger disease called sin. And when it's normalized and celebrated, it shows we're a nation is on this path toward destruction. So I just encourage you not to automatically reject a person who struggles with this. Show them the same love that God will show you. Don't persecute one person because they sin differently than you do, in other words. Be humble about that. They need Jesus' healing power in their lives. This started in the early 2000s, especially after 2008, when we painted the White House in the rainbow colors. Now, we as a culture and a nation are in that final step. And when we took that last step, we hit the edge, so to speak, and we started to fall. And this is where we are today, in my opinion. And that's moral anarchy. Now, close your eyes for a moment as I read the next few verses and ask yourself... Is this descriptive of our nation today? Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what not ought to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Does this sound like America today? Moral anarchy is a complete rejection of God as king. And this has only one reaction, and that is wrath and judgment. A lot of people talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, but they really don't understand exactly why God judged them so harshly. It wasn't just because of sexual promiscuity. It wasn't just because of, 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 of what they tried to do with Lot's um, daughters or, or Lot's visitors. It had to do with them being at the bottom of this slide. Seeing the Bible record for what I have seen, I know God had sent them prophets. Because he sent prophets... To Moab, He sent prophets to Assyria. He sent prophets to Nineveh. He sent prophets always to to even the the heathen nations. He would send prophets and tell them that judgment was coming and they needed to repent. And I could spend the rest of the afternoon pointing out from the Bible the multiple times when nations got to this point and then God's judgment fell. Another sobering example from the Bible would be that of the Amorites remember Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham, he goes, in 400 years, you will go and possess that land. But then he's a little sentence in there that most people don't even realize. He said, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet been fulfilled. God was giving them 400 years to repent. But at the end of that 400 years, they were 100 times worse than they were in Abraham's day. And that's why God sent Joshua into the promised land with the orders kill man, woman, and child. Wipe them out. You don't leave two cancer cells behind just because you're being a nice guy. You cut all that cancer out for its effect that it can have on the whole. That's the way that God sometimes deals with sin and sometimes the reason that his wrath falls. But before that time of total destruction, God does send a final warning in the form of a judgment. And this judgment is, is not something that you may realize right away, but it's the judgment of him pulling back, of him saying, have it your way. It's, it's the broken heart of a parent who has to finally kick their kid out of the house because they're bringing the rest of the family out down. In Romans 24, 26, and 28 or the verses of Romans 1. We have the same language where it says God gave them over. And the final sign that judgment is coming is God removing his restraining presence. I don't always know why God does things the way he does them. I'm thinking that this judgment is kind of like a parent whose child won't stay next to them in the store. So the parent just steps back behind a shelf and the child looks around, where's mommy and daddy, and freaks out. And just to teach them that you stay by your parents' side when you're out in a store. That's, that's the best way I can try to describe this. You see this example in Ezekiel 10, when the Spirit of God, because of the open rebellion and evil that was going on in, inside the temple and in the lives of Israel at that time, the Spirit of God leaves the Holy of Holies and goes to the, the threshold of the temple. He gives the priest time To recognize what is happening, to to miss the presence of God, but they don't even they're so hardened in their heart because of their sin, they don't even realize that God has left. So then he he departs the temple mount entirely. This is where we are today. For the past several years, I've been in prayer that we stop this slide before we hit rock bottom. I love this country. I love its people, I love its freedom, I love our culture. But we squandered the incredible gifts that God has given us. And I believe that God is removing his presence and his influence and his blessing over this nation. The Bible describes one more thing that indicates that God's wrath is imminent. And I'm hoping we're not yet there. Because it's at this point that judgment and wrath are certain. And you see it in Jeremiah 11. And to be honest, I had to wrestle with myself to even bring this to you because it's something that God's been speaking to me for a couple of years now. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah is dealing with a nation that rejects everything he prophesies. They're they're involved in very wicked idolatry, child sacrifice, rampant sexual sin, Just basically spitting in the face of God. And they refuse to turn and repent. And God gives Jeremiah a prophetic word for them about the future of that nation. Saying that they've left behind the covenant relationship they were to have with God and therefore God was leaving them. In Jeremiah 11.11 it says that this is what the Lord God says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. And in verse 14, he tells Jeremiah, and as a pastor, this crushes me when I read this. He said, Do not pray for these people, nor offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. It's my hope that America has not crossed this line yet. But what happens now in this nation will be largely dependent upon us. The Bible says that judgment begins at the house of God. And as God people, we need to take the situation we're in as a nation right now very seriously. These riots are not happening because of what happened to George Floyd. They're happening because of a moral anarchy. All these things that are coming against us right now are God pulling back. And what it tells me is that the time for partial Christianity is over, the time for lukewarmness is over. Because we have two ways out of this either repent and be saved. Or destruction. Or maybe a third way, the rapture, but something has to change. Or America is going to fall. One way or another. Let's all rise. I know everybody's happy they came to church for such an encouraging word this morning. But it's a necessary one. Because I hope it frames a lot of the discussion that we see and, a lot, and, and frames our thoughts around why so many people are just going crazy right now. It's because God's restraining influence is lifting. And it's my prayer that God will touch every single person's heart who hears this message and changes it to reflect that of Jesus. Jesus. And Father God, I just lift up your people here. I ask, Father, that this not be a message of doom and gloom, but it be a message, Father, that reorients our thinking, that changes our gaze from, from the chaos that is, is in our world right now, lifts it back up to look upon you and say, you are my Lord, my God, my Savior, my King. I give you my life anew. Help me to be a light that shines in this world so that many more people can come to the saving knowledge and gospel of Jesus Christ. This is your kingdom, God. You're in control. Help me to be a faithful and willing servant in it. Lord God, I thank you, and I just bless your people now. In Jesus' name, amen.